all of us have probably been there at some time in our lives. But here's the one I want to ask about in particular. It's this one. What about the things that are a mess and it's because of us? It's our sin. It's our behaviors. It's our choices that cause these messes. We've created the mess. And usually life goes along fine. Our lives go along very well. It's pretty normal, sometimes with great hope. And then what happens is sometimes we, we do something foolish. We make a bad decision. We say something, you just can't get it back. It's out there, it's gone. It's caused friction. We have a sinful behavior that we just don't catch. And it goes on and on and it causes problems, causes a mess. And we also have these others where maybe we don't do something wrong initially, but somebody else does something wrong, and guess what? We react. And our reactions are poor. Right? We get into these tit-for-tats with people, get vengeful, act out of anger or hurt. We things escalate and go back and forth and back and forth, and you look back and you're like, I don't even know what we were arguing about, but it's a mess. Everything's wrong. Now, how did we get here? So we've all been there. You may be there right now. And as Christians, how we approach these things is important. We should approach it, well, how's God going to respond to it? And sometimes we, we go to our Bible, and that's the correct thing to do. We go to the Word, and we look. When we failed, and we look at verses, and I'll grab a verse in Romans 8. It says, all things work together for good. And we hear these messages and verses, and we hold on to them. And sometimes we think, well, could these all things include my messes? Is that a part of all things that God can work together for good? Is it possible? Or is that just something that we say? Is that just Christian lingo? Is that just something that we say that makes us feel good? But we have no idea how this happens. And so all these things are questions we need to be able to answer rightly, because guess what? We're all going to fall into messes we're all going to experience failure some days. And guess what? Some of them is going to be our own sins. And so we need to know what to expect, and we also need to know how to react to it when this happens in our lives. And we also need to know, well, how's God respond to messy Christian lives? Is God the kind of God that's just going to, well, for one of his, he's just going to brush it under the rug? Just going to let it go? Don't want to make waves? Or is God the kind of God that's, going to cast us off forever? Is it going to be, well, I've done this for you. I've saved you. I've redeemed you. I've done all this for you. And look at you. You're still doing this stuff. I'm done with you. Is that how God's going to respond? Or is it going to be something else? And we just need to know because we need to know whether there's hope for us when we fall into these problems and messes. And so the good part about John 21, it gives us a glimpse of of this, It gives us a glimpse of what Peter was going through, the Apostle Peter, and how Jesus is going to handle and respond to his messes. And so we know this from when we left off with last time. Peter was chosen by Jesus for this team and for a task to come. And from there to now, he's been with Jesus three or so years. He's traveled with him, lived with him. He's heard all these teachings. He saw Jesus in all kinds of moments. He saw the miracles. He saw the power, the omniscience, the love, the forgiveness. He saw all these amazing things. He's heard them, saw them, everything. And all these amazing things, and Peter, in who he is, he's so confident, not just in 
in Jesus, but all of a sudden in himself, he goes, I will never leave you. I'm going to always be for you. And guess what? When tests come, he's going to fail. We're going to get into this. You're going to look miserable. It's going to be a mess. And Jesus, he's going to be arrested. We're going to see this. Jesus is arrested. And three times on the day of Jesus' arrest, as he's being crucified, Peter denies him. He says, I don't know him. I'm not one of his. Not me. He backs away. When it got tough, he bails. And so we, we need to know this because Peter's made a mess, and we need to know this. How is Jesus going to respond to Peter? Because guess what? That's how we can expect him to respond to us when we fail. So we need to do that. And so here's the question. Is Jesus going to look at Peter and say, well, it never happened. I'm just going to let it go. Or is Jesus going to look at Peter and say, well, you rejected me, so I guess I'm going to reject you too. Is that who Jesus is? And that's what he's, is that what he's going to do? And so as we get ready for this, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to help us to see how we should respond, but more importantly, how he responds to us in our messes in life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for forgiveness of who we are, and you, you forgive us of it. And you allow us to enter into your presence as sons and daughters of yours. And, and God, we, we, we praise you for not giving up on us in our messy lives. And Lord, help us to hear from your word today and draw confidence in your words and your ways and lessen ourselves today. Open our hearts to, to hear how you respond to failing children of yours and how children of yours need to respond to you as our Heavenly Father. Father, just give us this today. In your name, I pray. Amen. Now, I think the first thing we're going to see here is this. Jesus pursues Peter. Jesus pursues Peter. If you can't see that, we're going to be in John 21. We're going to start in verse 1. So I'm just going to give us a little context before we read this. So at this point, what's happened is, Jesus has died on the cross, and he's given his life as a sacrifice, and he's risen from the grave. He's beat sin and death, and all these things he said he would do. He said he was going to be crucified, and he was. He told them. But Peter and the disciples, they couldn't understand it. And he said he was going to, be, he was going to rise from the grave and defeat it in three days, and he did. And he's also, this resurrected Jesus, he has shown himself to some of the followers, not yet Peter. So he's revealed himself to them after he's done this. And so here's at this point, Peter's going to be wondering if there's a place for him as a follower of Christ right now. He's wondering, well, where am I at in this? I forsook him three times. Is he going to forsake me now? That's where we're at. So let's go ahead and read the scriptures on the screen, starting in verse 1. And after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said, we will go with you. They went out that night and got in the boat, but they caught nothing. 
And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. And he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you shall find some. And so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the great quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Peter heard it, it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for the work and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. And so we see here in John 21 that Peter and some of the disciples are in Galilee and they're fishing. That's what's happening. And, and this wasn't abnormal because they were commanded by Christ to meet him in Galilee after his resurrection. But Peter leads this group into a fishing expedition for some reason. And it's not 100% par- apparent whether they were just trying to fish for food or whether Peter was like, I, I've messed this up. I'm done. This isn't going to work out. I'm going to go back to my old way of life. It's not 100% apparent whether he's leaving the ministry or not. But here is what is apparent. This is what's interesting. Peter is not the one looking for Jesus, is he? He's He's not looking for Jesus. He's not on his knees praying. He's not asking for forgiveness. He's not. But here's what we do know. Jesus is pursuing Peter. Jesus absolutely pursues Peter. And guess what? He gets his attention. In fact, this is something that's, that's a lead up to this. Jesus had always planned to pursue Peter even before he failed. That's how committed Jesus was to Peter. We're going to see here in this verse on the screen. So what's happening here? This is the Last Supper. This is the Last Supper of the day Jesus would be arrested. And he's talking to Peter. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 22, or excuse me, chapter 22, verse 31 in, in Luke. So listen to this. It goes, Simon, Simon, behold, this is Jesus. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. There's the confidence, self-confidence. Verse 30, 31, 34, excuse me. Jesus says, but I tell you, Peter, The rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. So we see Jesus knew he was going to fail. He knew this was going to happen. And Jesus had already prayed for Peter's faith not to fail. And when it happened, but Jesus was always planning to pursue Peter. So let's just look at a few things real quick. First thing we're going to know, under Jesus pursues Peter, Jesus is going to get Peter's attention. That's the first thing we note here. And so here's what we know. We know Peter's fishing, he's on the boat, another day of not catching fish. And just like the first day when we talked about when, when, when Peter was fishing back in Luke 5, Jesus was still sovereign over this lacking a catch of fish. Jesus was still in control. The fish weren't going to be caught because that's not what Jesus wanted it to happen that day. But then, as is, we happened earlier, Jesus asked them to put the net on the other side of the boat. And guess what? Jesus is sovereign. He shows again. And the fish, sovereign as they are for Jesus to save the water and the fish, they fill up the net again. And it rushes into the net. And just like the first time that Peter was called in Luke 5, he's astounded by this catch. 
They can't believe it. And automatically it brings them right back to they know who it is. They know this is Jesus. There's no doubt in their mind. And so Jesus right here is astounding Peter, but he's getting his attention. So the next thing we see in these verses here is also, let's look at Peter's response to Jesus. This is important. Jesus pursues Peter. He gets his attention. But watch his response. And over to the, to the, to the right of it, this is how we need to respond to something that we need to understand. So the parallel between Luke 5 and when I was up here a, a little bit ago in John 21, it ends here. And by the way, this started out as one sermon and working with Jeff, it's just sort of worked his way into two. That's why we're up here twice. And so here's what does Jesus reveals himself through this fish, the catch, the miraculous catch. And if you remember in, in Luke, when his calling, Peter's response was what? It was go away, depart. I don't want. I don't want be. I don't want to be here. He's a lost man. He doesn't recognize Jesus. Doesn't know what to expect. He doesn't know his character yet. He sees him as something that's God. He understands he's God, and he understands he's a sinner, a sinful man. Doesn't belong in the same presence as, as this Jesus. But here the response is much different. What is it? He runs to him. He runs to him. He recognizes him because something's different. He's been with him three years. He understands who Jesus is now. He understands this is a loving God. And when God pursues him, he jumps into the water. Instead of running to him, it says he swims into the water directly to Jesus. Didn't even wait for the boat. And it was only after Jesus pursues Peter that Peter responds correctly. But here's the thing we need to understand. Peter's response is the response of a child of God. Children of God run to the Lord in their failures and in their messes. That's what we do. That's what he does. And we'll ask him just some things to think about in, in this section. Has God ever gotten your attention in the midst of failures? Do we think it's coincidental that, that, that we hear a verse, we read our Bibles, and it speaks to us from the things we've messed up. It's almost like it's speaking to us. Sometimes we hear a hymn, it brings us to tears. We hear a good song or a sermon that we're listening to. It's like the person is speaking right to you, even though they don't know what's going on in your life. Do we find that coincidental? Let me tell you something. God grabs our attention. He absolutely does. He grabs our attention in the messes or whenever. And here's the thing, we all, if we believe the way we do, we all have the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit is something that God gives and it responds to the things of God, does it not? It responds. The Holy Spirit inside a believer, it responds to the word, a praiseworthy song. It responds to brothers and sisters communing together, loving each other. It astounds us, but it, it is God's getting our attention. God pursues us even in our failures. And here's the thing, it's our responsibility, we have to respond to Jesus correctly, do we not? We have to, when he pursues us, we need to respond correctly. And it's the Christian response to run to the Lord. No running from God, not hiding, pity parties and living in our failures, that's not a Christian response, even though it's common. 
It's not the response. It's not a Christian response. It's a normal response. It's a human response, but it's not Christian. The response that we have should look a lot like obedience, should it not? Obedience looks like we pray our heart to God through our pain. Asking God for forgiveness or even offering forgiveness even when somebody doesn't ask for forgiveness. That's our response when God pursues us. And so now that we've seen that Jesus has pursued Peter and gotten his attention, the question is, is well, how is he going to treat him now? Is he, did he just pursue him and get his attention to be like, hey, I told you so. I got you. Let me tell you the what for. Did he pursue him for those reasons? Was he going to forsake him? Tell him how a failure he was? Is that what he's going to do? So it brings us to the next section here. Number two, Jesus restores Peter. Jesus restores Peter. Let me pick up the verse in verse 9 here. So when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled in the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And all there, although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So here we go. As we look at 21 and starting in verse 9, we see that Jesus is inviting Peter, a sinner, but also a sinner, not just any old sinner, a sinner that sinned against him personally. He's inviting him to breakfast and fellowship. But notice this, we're going we're gonna to go through this section, but he notices that he doesn't brush his sin under the rug. He brings him back to his sin, never ignoring it, but always pursuing and holding on to Peter all along the way, restoring Peter back into relationship with him. So the first thing we're going to see is Jesus brings Peter back to his denial. He doesn't brush it under the rug. So, so I'm going to read this. In notice in verse 9, I'm going to reread it just a little bit here. We, we read it earlier. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. So this word play is something that that's, there's only two times in the New Testament that this charcoal fire, this imagery is used. One, it's here, and the other one is on the screen in John chapter 18. This is when Peter was denying Jesus. I don't know if it was the first or the second or the third denial, but here it is, I'm going to read it, starting in verse 17. So the servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. You know, it's no, coincidence, it's no coincidence that the only other time we hear of this charcoal fire is when Peter was denying Jesus. This is Jesus is slowly bringing him back to a sin, and he knows it, and Jesus knows it, and he knows it. And watch the next section. You can tell that they know there's still sin between them. So the next one we're going to see is Jesus serves his people in spite of their weakness. So Jesus restores us by bringing us back to our denial. 
He also restores us by bringing us and serving us in spite of our failures and weaknesses. So in spite of the status of the relationship, guess what? Jesus does what? He makes bread. He makes, makes food, fish, breakfast, and he invites them to eat. And eating in those days, this is context, this is a very relational thing to do. To invite someone for a meal was not just like any old thing. It was something that you did. It was a symbol of, I want to be with you. I want a relationship with you. I want to know you differently. And Jesus is inviting them in, and it's almost like, let's get together. Let's get past this. And guess what? They still knew their sin because guess why they knew their sin? It says that they dare not ask him who he is. They knew that there was something in the air between them. There's this awkwardness still between us. So it's unresolved and it's awkward. And guess what? They were so overwhelmed with this, they didn't even start eating. Jesus had to almost offer it a second time. Well, here's the bread, here's the fish, let's eat. And he's showing them this, that he would always meet their needs and serve them just as he always did. That their failures didn't change his relationship with them. And we see this, Jesus does this many times. One we'll talk about, Jeff preached about this a while back, I think it was the Behold series, when he was washing the disciples' feet. And when he was washing their feet, this was this desire to serve people. And he was also letting them know, like, in spite of your dirtiness, your dirty feet, I'm always going to be washing your sin off. I'm never going to go. I'm still going to be God. It's not going to change. It's not salvation, but it's it's repent. We need to come and be washed by Jesus. That's what he was doing, and, and he's still doing that at this point in time. And so as we, as we see here, Jesus has pursued Peter. Jesus has restored Peter. Well, now the question is, can he use him? Is he going to have to cancel him? I can't use you anymore. I can get back into a relationship with you. I can pursue you, but you've done too much. I can't use you for the future. So we're going to see here the third thing. Jesus is going to recommission Peter. Jesus recommissions Peter. Pick up in, in verse 15. Here we go. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, well, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know I love you. You know everything. You know I love you. First thing we need to note here is this. We can see this. Jesus recommissions Peter caring for the flock. So, so what's going on in this section of Scripture? Obviously, the three times that Jesus asked him, if you love me, is being parallel with the three times he's denied him. He even refers to him as Simon, his former name, like, hey, you're acting like your old self. But watch this. But Jesus responds to all of his love, love, love by what? Ten, what was it? Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. And Jesus is contrasting love for him. It's going to be displayed by, you got to love my people then too. 
And guess what? You're welcome to love my people. And, and guess what? Here's the thing. The primary mark of redeemed people is we're going to love God, but we need to love God's people. It can't be one without the other. And we can see this. Uh, we, can see, we can see this point made in Mark 12. This is, Jesus was asked earlier, he was asked, well, what's the most greatest, what's the greatest commandment, the most important commandment? And this is what he answers. And Jesus answers, and I'm going to pick it up in Mark 12, verse 29. Jesus answers, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus has restored Peter, but now he's recommissioning him. It says, love me, then go love my people. The next point we're going to see here to, to finish off this verse, Jesus recommissions Peter, caring for the, recommissions Peter to care for the flock in the present, but he's also going to, Jesus is going to recommission, he's going to use Peter even in his death in the future. I'm going to pick up here in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk. And wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said, follow me. Jesus is reminding Peter that one time you used to be your own person. When you were lost, before conversion, you did your own bidding. You had your own dreams. You chased your own desires. But when you're a child of God and now you're a child of God, Peter, you're going to go where you do not want to go. But instead, you're going to go where I lead you. And this is going to be into his own death. That's what we're seeing here. And, and there's extra biblical literature that tells us that it's not in the Bible, but we can reliably count on these accounts that Peter was crucified. He was killed. For sharing the gospel. But it was a weird thing. It was, it was reported that he wanted to, he has to be crucified upside down because he didn't see it fit that he would be crucified in the same way as his Lord Jesus. So here we go. How can we go from a man who had no desire for God to then a man who, after conversion, follows God but but sort of still has this desire to be recognized by men, a little braggadocious, a little, hey, look at me, look at Jesus, but look at me a little bit, right? Then he betrays God, but then ultimately he's going to give his life for the gospel. And the only answer is he's not his own anymore. And part of how he's not his own anymore is God uses him through his messes and failures God does that. He brings Peter to the end of himself completely now. It's no more sort of Peter and sort of God. It is God. It is Jesus alone. And let me say this. I don't believe that Jesus was saying Peter would only glorify him in his death. I think what we're saying here is Jesus, I think Jesus, what he's saying here is even in his death, that he would glorify him. And the point is this. Peter's ability to serve God wasn't ruined by his failures. In fact, Jesus is almost in a way saying that you will actually glorify him more 
now that you've been restored. And so we'll wrap up here, and I'll ask you these questions, and we'll apply this, hopefully. Let me ask you a question. Do we need Jesus to call us from lost to saved and redeemed? Yes. Do we need Jesus to save us from darkness to light? Yes, I do. In fact, we all do. But, but here's the thing. We need a Jesus every day of our life, don't we? We need him every day. We don't just need Jesus at conversion, and we don't need just Jesus in eternity to, to come. We need Jesus every day. And we need to know that this Jesus, whether we want or not, he's pursuing us. He's going to pursue us to the point where he even prays on our behalf, and we don't even know it. He's going to pray for us to not fail. That's who our Jesus is. And every hard thing we go through, even our own mistakes, even the ones that we mess, God's going to use this to sanctify us, not just to forgive us, but certainly to forgive us, but to sanctify us, to restore us, to change us for him. And we need to know that Jesus calls us, calls us from our failures, calls us back into relationship with him, does he not? You know, life has a lot of failures. Relationships are hard. Marriages can be a mess. Kids, even as us to our parents, it's hard. It can be a failure sometimes. And even from us to younger children, it could feel like it's a never-ending failure. Bitterness creeps in. Don't forgive. Selfishness. It's a part of all these things. Careers don't go well. People you work with, business deals don't go, they go south. All kinds of things we will fail and mess up. But we need to know that Jesus pursues us in spite of those failures. And I need a Jesus, and so do we. We all need a Jesus to reassure us that we're not too far from him in those messes and in those failures. It's not, it's not who he is. And we need a Jesus that restores us back when we fall. We need a Jesus that calls us back to relationship. And here's the other part. We need a Jesus that recommissions us, that can use us. Our God doesn't cancel us. We live in a culture. We love canceling people for what they said or what they did. I don't even know. That's not our Jesus. That's not our God. That's the type of Jesus he's shown himself to be. Let's worship him rightly. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I just, we just thank you for pursuing us and loving us and wanting us for relationship. And God, we just praise you for using us in our weaknesses, in spite of ourselves, that you use us to glorify your name. Lord, we just praise you for that. And Lord, we just praise you that your love is never too far from us. Your commitment to us is greater than our commitment to you. It always has been. And that you love us anyway in spite of that. Lord, we just thank you. We praise you for that. We thank you, Lord, for not just throwing our sin under the rug and letting it go, but, Lord, changing us with a goal to sanctify us and to change us and to call us and to change us into a light, a life that's yours and not our own. 
But Lord, we just thank you for, for just allowing us into your kingdom to use us to call others to king, your kingdom. And you do it anyway, even though we fail time and time again. We just thank you for finding ourselves in you. Even though that we deny your priorities, we have other things that we put ahead of you. But you forgive us and use us and change us. Thank you, God. Use our messages to carry out, to change us for your glory, for your name. Lord, we just pray all these things that you would do in your name. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad you serve that Jesus? Yes. Let's stand and offer this possibly unknown hymn to the Lord as a uh, worship, as a finally, final part of our worship. Loved with everlasting love, led by grace that love to Gracious Spirit from above, Thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace, oh, this transport all divine in a home. 